Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last chapter begins with Shawnee trying to make good her escape from the Goddard estate after murdering the patriarch and his valet. She wastes time looking for a strong box mentioned in conversation earlier before realizing that she has been fooled. If there's a strong box, it's not in this room. It was only ever mentioned as leverage. Despite the loss of time, she does successfully make it out, largely thanks to a simple disguise consisting of the valet's cap, cloak, and brooch. Meanwhile, back in Silmoral, Krell is at the tower of the City Watch. He's been swamped with work that piled up during his time in the castle. He slogs his way through some of it, but ultimately cannot resist returning to Whitestone. There's something ineffable that pulls him back to the castle, and he's helpless to resist. Returning to Nepule on the Goddard estate, the nobleman, Lucan, discovers the headless body of Lord Goddard and sounds the alarm. He and Sir Patrick Salomar join forces to catch the killer. They discover tracks that show the intruder has left the compound, and Lucan, hot-headed and reckless, runs off ahead of the pack, despite being barely armed or armored. This lack of caution costs him his life. He's pelted with arrows the moment he turns the corner, leaving Salomar, who now knows there's multiple enemies ahead, to stop and devise a new strategy. If this were a table game, I might sketch out a quick battle map for the upcoming encounter. In the center of the map would be a spired tailor shop with Catsbane at the second story window. Bazu is inside and on the first floor. He's right at the door and ready to let in an ally or defend against intruders. However, Catsbane, who has an excellent vantage point, directs him. Outside, there's the Goddard Estate wall with the corpse of Lucan near the corner. Jace will have relocated to join Yellowfly and Shawnee by the moneylender's shop a short distance away and are covering the kill zone with their bows. They're hoping the enemy will come rushing headlong around the corner, repeating the folly of the first man. But that is not going to happen. Sir Salomar is far too experienced to walk into such an obvious trap. The knight has split his quartet into two pairs, so that he and his pupil will come at the building from the south, while the two door guards take the north side. They all know to expect bowfire, and so surprise will not be rolled when combat resumes, as it is sure to do. Since combat is practically inevitable, I'd be remiss if I didn't take a moment to level up Jace, who today attains level 5. It won't take long. He gets a d8 for new hit points. I've rolled a 5. Adjusted for his constitution bonus, that's a 6, and takes his new hit point score up to a beefy 37. His basic attack bonus also increases from plus 2 to plus 3. Finally, he has a chance for stat increases. Let's see what happens. For strength, I've got a 1. Intelligence, 
Another one. Okay, how about wisdom? <laughs> I've got another one. Okay, this is just insulting. Uh, how about dexterity? A three. Okay, that's better. Constitution? Another three. And finally, it's charisma. Another three. Okay, that was weird. And that wasn't done with a dice rolling app either, if you're curious. That was good old-fashioned resin. Kind of a letdown. But I can't complain about that hit point total. And the dice will do what the dice will do. Alright, before I go into combat mode, I need to quickly roll up these forces and see what the party is up against. The boy is a one hit point child. He does know how to fight, but will take a minus one strength penalty to reflect his small size and young age. He wields a short sword. The two door guards are both level two fighters armed with halberds. They wear chainmail shirts, which gives them an armor class of 14. For simplicity, they'll have the same hit points, rolling 2d8. The dice say they get 11 hit points apiece. As for Sir Patrick Salomar, he is an extremely tough customer. He's both honorable and loyal to a fault, so I'm giving him a morale of 12. It's going to take a lot to make him run or surrender. He wears scale mail and carries a longsword. The scale mail is a little better than chainmail and gives him an AC of 15. I'm also giving him a dexterity bonus, making his armor class 16. If he can get to Lucan's shield, it'll go up by one more. Salomar is the toughest fighter the party members have ever faced, by far. He is level 8. As such, he gets a basic attack bonus of plus 5. He also gets a whopping 8d8 hit points. I don't have 8d8s handy, so I'll roll in two groups of four. Here goes. I got a 23, again. 21. That makes 44 hit points in total. Like I said, he's tough. Well, I think I've got everything I need to get into combat. Let's pick up where we left off, just as Salomar and the boy reached the southern corner of the tailor shop, and the two door guards reached the northern one. Salomar and the boy arrive at the tailor shop right by the shingle. The sign is weathered and bears an illustration of a spindle of thread illustrated in cracked paint. Even before initiative is rolled, Salomar will attempt to draw fire from his unseen enemies, cautiously assuming that they are still nearby. As he reaches the corner, he tells his pupil to stay behind him, and, instead of peeking around the corner, flourishes his cape past it, hoping to draw an arrow or two, and allowing him to close the distance while the enemy reloads. I wonder if Jace, Fly, Catsbane, or Shane would fall for such a cheap trick. They might. Maybe a roll against wisdom for each of them to recognize the ruse and hold their fire. I got a 19, a 7, a 7, and a 13. Jace's wisdom score is an 11, so that's a fail. He loses, wasting an arrow. Yellowfly, unsurprisingly, holds his fire, as does Catsbane. But Shawnee, whose wisdom score is only a 7, releases immediately. Of course, her arrow tears through empty fabric. For the price of a plain winter cloak, Salomar has mostly stripped the PCs of their advantage, and I think he can probably tell where they are, too, more or less. He springs out from cover a moment after the second arrow goes by, while commanding the doorman on the other side of the building to charge the enemy position. He's not going to bother with the door of the tailor shop at the moment. The archers are the immediate threat. He spots Jace, Shawnee, and Fly, and speeds towards them, longsword in hand. His pupil is right behind him, and the halberd-wielding guards rush up too. The companions will not have time to reload. The distance between them is too short. Neither will they run. Doing so would be to abandon Bazu and Catsbane. Instead, forced to stay, they draw their melee weapons and prepare to fight hand to hand. Which almost brings us to round one. But remember that Yellowfly and Catsbane were not fooled by Salomar's little trick. They can each take an action before combat begins. Yellowfly will fire his crossbow at the nearest enemy, which happens to be a door guard. He needs an 11 to hit. 
A five is a miss. His quarrel explodes against the tailor shop wall behind the charging men, and Yellowfly tosses his new crossbow to the ground before drawing the Silverthorn. Catsbane doesn't have to roll to hit, because he's casting his second magic missile as his action. Furthermore, from his position, he can tell who the leader is and will target him. The magic missile blasts down and strikes the knight between the shoulder blades, doing... Ooh, six points. This takes Salomar down to 38. Catsbane is out of magic missiles, and the PCs are bracing for melee. Ready or not, it's time for... Entering Combat. Round 1. Initiative. Salomar and his men. A 6. The party. A 5. Those extra couple of seconds the companions are forced to spend in drawing their weapons, as it turns out, make all the difference. Salomar falls upon them just as they free the blades from their sheaths. Salomar can instantly recognize Yellowfly as their leader, and he goes straight for him. He only needs a 9 to hit. A 16 is definitely a hit. The knight's superior skill is instantly apparent, and a series of testing swings quickly detects a weakness in Yellowfly's parrying skill. <coughs> the knight lands a blow for... Six points, and Yellowfly's confidence is somewhat shaken, as he realizes he is outmatched. <coughs> Salomar's pupil, the boy, will not enter the fight right away. Instead, the knight sends him to fetch Lucan's discarded shield, and so the child runs off to do just that. Next are the two door guards. One faces Shawnee, and the other one squares off with Jace. Door guard one attacks Shawnee, needing a 14 to hit, but a three is a miss. Door guard two attacks Jace. Can he penetrate the fighter's new magical chain mail? With a four, we won't even find out. Jace easily bats the halberd aside. <coughs> now it's the party's turn. Yellowfly needs a 10 to hit Sir Salomar. He's got an 8. The knight is clearly holding back, still learning Yellowfly's style. He repels the gleaming silver blade with ease. It's Shawnee's turn. She needs a 12 to hit door guard number 1. Natural 20. Wow, that is max damage plus... 6 on the die. Holy smokes. With 12 points in a single blow, Shawnee thrusts her sword right through the man's neck, and arterial blood sprays out from the wound in a bright red geyser. The man falls down, dead at her feet. How about Jace? He needs a 10 to hit. A 17 will hit. Jace's longsword will do. Seven points, and the man goes down past the halfway mark. Catsbane is next. He is out of magic missiles. He sees the boy run off for the shield, but he cannot bring himself to throw his knife at a child. In fact, he's beginning to wonder who the good guys even are. As for Bazu, he's behind a locked door, cannot see the combatants, and is out of the fight unless and until Catsbane tells him what to do. You know, I think Shawnee has won this first round for the companions, but it's early in the fight and anything can happen. Let's move on to round two, initiative. Salomar and his men, a five, the party, a five, simultaneous combat. If anyone should fall this round, they will still get the chance to retaliate. Salomar attacks Yellowfly and an 18 will certainly hit. Yellowfly is so outclassed, this feels unfair. Salomar gets in close and smashes his opponent across the face with the pommel of his sword for... Lucky, just one point. <clears throat> At this point, the boy returns, having collected Lucan's shield. But it's not so easy to hand this off during combat. I'll allow it by using the boy's full turn to wait for the right opportunity. If they had won the initiative, I might have let him do it as a free action. But I think this ruling makes sense. Door guard number two is engaged with Jace. He needs a 15. 
Ooh, a natural 20. Oh no. The door guard manages to hook his halberd behind Jace's right knee, and when he yanks it back, flesh is shorn and tendons are severed. <laughs> it's amazing that Jace even stays on his feet. This could be bad, because a polearm in BXD&D causes 1d10 points of damage. That means the halberd will cause 10 points plus a 1, which means Jace takes 11 points and brings him down to 26. Wow, that was both very unlucky and very lucky in a way. Over to the companions. Yellowfly will try to get past Salomar's defenses. He needs a 10. He's got a 13. Ah, uh, Salomar must have expected that blow to the face to stagger his enemy, but Yellowfly recovers quickly and manages to land a blow himself. His longsword will do. Ooh, nine points after bonuses. It must have found a chink in the night scale mail. <laughs> Shawnee is now free to attack Sir Salomar as well. She needs a 14 to hit. A 13 just misses, and her blade is turned away by the knight's steel vambrace. <laughs> it's Jace's turn. I bet he'd like some payback for that last hit. A 10 will hit. Now he's got a 9. It's a miss, but just. <laughs> Catsbane, up at that second story window, is watching the fight. He has the spell Mirror Image left, but having checked, the spell could only be used on himself. It doesn't make much sense to use it at the moment, so he just watches through the open window, ready to give instructions to Bazu if need be. At the end of round two, things are heating up with serious hits from both sides. Let's keep the momentum going with round three, initiative. Salomar and his men. A six, the party. A five. Wow, these initiative rolls are crazy high, but Salomar's side once again wins it. Bad news for Yellowfly, who is hard-pressed to keep up with the more experienced fighter. More bad news. I'm adding a wrinkle. I think it's reasonable to say that Troll and Bromley could have managed to make sure the folks who lived in the area would keep their doors locked for a few extra hours and even devise some way to keep the pedestrian traffic away. Certainly the sounds of combat would keep the people of Napul at a distance. But what about the city watch? The noise of men yelling and ringing steel might well draw their attention. How many rounds will it take before reinforcements arrive? How about 1d6 rounds from now? The roll. I got a five. Okay, that could have been a lot worse. The City Watch will arrive on the scene on round nine, and the PCs will not want to be around when they do. Okay, back to the combat. Salomar will attempt to hit Yellowfly. An 11 means yet another hit. This is not good, even though it does make perfect sense. Will Yellowfly escape with minimal damage again? Three points. Yeah, that could have been worse, but Yellowfly is being beaten in this fight, little by little. <laughs> He has 19 hit points remaining. The boy is now free to fight, and he will. He engages with Shawnee and needs a 15 to hit. A <laughs> 15, and he's been trained by the best and his appearance is misleading. Shawnee misjudges his skill and this lets him score a hit. Four, four points of damage. She's still okay though, with 22 points left. Now the door guard will attack Jace, but a seven is a miss. Yeah. Over to the PCs. Yellowfly's attack, an 11. That just barely hits, doing seven points and bringing Salomar, now bloodied and breathing hard, down to 22. <laughs> this is less than half of his maximum and will force a morale check, but let's do that at the end of this round after everyone has taken their turn. Shawnee finds herself in a fight with a child. He's wearing padded training armor and has an AC of 12. How's she gonna deal with this? She'll attempt a non-lethal strike. She's rolled a 10, so the child is actually able to turn her blade he must be a pretty good student. Last in the round is Jace. He needs a 10. A 3. 
Unfortunately, Jace cannot penetrate this man's defenses, and his blow is blocked by the pole of the man's halberd. <laughs> okay, now before we move on to round four, Sir Salomar must make that morale check. His loyalty is so high, he'll need to basically crit fail this roll. That's a 12 on 2d6. Here's the roll. A six, not even close. He looks Yellowfly in the eye and says, I'll give you one last chance, Kerr. Drop your weapon. I'll let you live to see tomorrow. Yellowfly is not interested in taking him up on the offer, so we move on to round four. The City Watch will be here in five rounds. Initiative. Salomar and his men. A two. The party. A four. Finally, the party wins initiative. Yellowfly faints low and attacks high. An eight. It's no good. The knight sees through the trick and expertly fends him off. <coughs> Shawnee sadly must still contend with this child, which is a problem because it means she cannot help Yellowfly, and he could really use a hand. Here's another attempt to deal non-lethal damage. A 17. That is a success. A well-placed kick to the chest sends the kid flying back into the snow. <coughs> he lies there, whimpering. He's not badly hurt, but neither does he get back up. Jace is still facing the wounded door guard. He needs a 10. He's got a 10. That just connects. But it's a glancing blow. Two points of damage. Catsbane, assessing the situation from that second story window of the tailor shop, now decides it is time for Bazu to join the fight. He calls down and Bazu obeys, opening the door and rushing out with his quarterstaff at the ready. He'll be able to participate next round. Salomar will try a post. He's only rolled to three. This is the first round Salomar has failed to land a blow. Perhaps the tide is turning. Door guard number two, knowing Jace's knee is injured, tries to sweep his leg out from under him. A five. It's a swing and a miss. Well, that round went slightly in the party's favor, but it's far from over. It is round five. The city watch will be here in four rounds. Initiative. Salomar and his men. A four. The party. A two. Sir Salomar redoubles his efforts and surges back. A 14 hits. Gritting his teeth, he rushes Yellowfly and shield bashes him in the face. Four. Seven damage. Fly is now down to 12 hit points. Blood is streaming from a cut on his eyebrow, making it hard for the fighter to see. Door guard number two. He needs a 15 and gets... A 17. He reverses his swing and catches Jace on the way back, doing just two points. That leaves Jace with 24 hit points. It's important that the PCs make some headway at this point. Let's see if they do. Yellowfly makes his try. A 16. Nice. Good job, Yellowfly. The Silverthorn bites into Salomar for six points. Now it's clear by the way he holds his shield close to his body and makes smaller movements that while the knight may still have fight in him, he is weakening. Moreover, Shawnee is now free to help. That 14 just fails to connect. How about Jace? Can he do it? And nine. Yeah, it's not quite good enough. Jace's sword is knocked aside. Bazu is now in this fight. He's somewhat afraid to engage with the knight and decides to help Jace. Because he is also under the effect of the bless spell, he only needs a 13 to hit. He's got a four. It's no good. The blow is both timid and clumsy. <clears throat> Round six. The city watch will be here in three rounds. The PCs need to hurry up. Initiative. Salomar and his men. Three. The party. A two. Ah, this is infuriating. The companions are having terrible luck with their initiative rolls. 
Sir Zalimar overcomes the pain of his wounds and launches a blistering series of attacks, snarling. You! You are a traitor to the king! His roll? A 12. It's not a great roll, but it's enough to score yet another hit. Ouch. Seven points brings Fly down to five hit points. This is not good at all. The door guard is still attacking Jace. He's got a 19. Another three points to Jace, who is now down to 21. It's time for me to make a very tough call. Yellowfly has met his match, and he can see it. One more round with the older knight, and he'll most likely become a corpse. It's not an easy decision, but he will spend his turn withdrawing, handing the fight over to Shawnee, who is still fresh. So he flashes her a look, and she instantly understands, stepping in with her own flurry of blows. And she's got some acid words of her own. She spits out. And you are a traitor to Camatine. She's got a 12. Her words might get through, but her sword does not. How about Jace? A 14. Finally, Jace lands a hit. No damage roll is needed here as the door guard only had two hit points left, and Bazu's blessed spell gives Jace a plus one on his roll. A final swipe of Jace's sword takes the man's life. Bazu, for his turn, will run over to touch Yellowfly, casting a prayer of healing and restoring six hit points. Round seven. The City Watch will be here in two rounds. Salomar is about to face four opponents on his own, but this is not the first time he's done so, and he's always walked away the victor. Initiative, Salomar. A one. The party. A six. Well, that makes sense. They've got him surrounded. This could be it. Yellowfly rushes back in with the Silverthorn flashing in the morning light. A 13. That'll hit. Eight points. The Silver Blade slips past Salomar's shield and punctures his scale mail shirt. How about Shawnee? A 15 will hit. It's a 14. The knight just manages to swat her blade away as he spins to face her. Jace will now take an opportunity while the knight is distracted. A 13 hits. He stabs him in the lower back for seven more points. This hit takes Salomar down to a single hit point. He almost falls, but stays on his feet, grinding his teeth against the pain while trying to defend himself. Can Bazu finish this fight? He needs a 16. A 9 is a miss. Bazu strikes him with his quarterstaff, but the blow does not do any damage through the knight's armor. <clears throat> I'm rolling morale one more time here. Again, it'd take a small miracle for Salomar to surrender. For this man, honor is everything, but the writing is on the wall. I've got a 5. Now, Sir Salomar will die with his sword in his hand, it seems. He'll try to take someone with him, too. Who will it be? I'll make it random. It's Jace. Salomar needs a 10 to hit. And does so easily with a 15. There's strength in his arm yet. He chops down, doing... 3 points of damage. Jace, Fly, and especially Salomar are all bleeding freely all over the snow now. This next round must be the final round. And just in time, because the City Watch will be there the very next round. Catsbane will come down from his perch at the second story window so as not to delay their retreat. This is round 8. Initiative. Salomar. A three. The party. A three. Sir Patrick Salomar is a true warrior. You just have to admire this guy. If he's going down this round, he's going to try and take Jace with him. Can Yellowfly finish this fight? A nine. His sword arm is tired, and the strike is parried. How about Shawnee? A ten. Likewise, she is fended off. He will probably come down to Jace. He needs a thirteen. 
A 16. Jace runs him through, but not before Salomar makes one last desperate attempt to take him down too. A 10 will hit. A 3. Jace sees the blow coming, and now it is slow and lacks power. Twisting his body to the side, Salomar's blade slides harmlessly past him, but his own blade rams into the knight's abdomen, killing Salomar and spilling his entrails all over the street. <laughs> the sound of booted feet and men's voices from not too far away mean there's no time for the companions to catch their breath. Shawnee hitches her backpack up so it's firmly over her shoulder. Catsbane comes out of the tailor shop, pointing in the direction of the oncoming city guards, and the companions limp away as quickly as they can into the nearest alleyway. Chapter 53 Day 129 Late Morning Krell entered Whitestone Castle through the main gates, which were opened to him by a pair of men-at-arms in green livery under decorative plate and mail armor. He strode past them without a word, looking up as he passed into the arched entrance and under a ceiling perforated by murder holes. In the room above, he knew there were cauldrons of oil that in times of war would be heated and attended by men who could pour their contents over the heads of an invading force. Madly, Krell fantasized about being doused with burning oil to die in agony. Somehow, the prospect was perversely attractive in that moment. Of course, no such thing happened, and Krell passed into the entrance without incident. The castle courtyard beyond was eerily quiet, even more so than it had been when he left. There were clumps of accumulated snow in the corners that nobody had bothered to clear, and there were no people, no guards, no servants. Krell crossed the courtyard, kicking the snow off of his boots when again the other side, and once again found himself out of the elements. His first stop was Captain Sinwan's office. This was located near the armory on the eastern side of the castle, on the second floor. He had to walk up a flight of stone steps and pass through several corridors in order to reach it. During the trip, he saw only one other person, a scullery maid wearing a white kirtle and carrying a broom made of bound rushes. When she saw him, she hurried away. Somehow, Krell was unsurprised to find the door of the captain's office unlocked. He let himself in and surveyed the room. A haphazard pile of scrolls and volumes were strewn across the desk, with some on the floor. There was an ink pot left open and with the contents dried solid. The place looked as though someone had rifled through it, taken a few things, and left in a hurry. Krell guessed it hadn't been used in a few days or more. Sindwan, it appeared, really was gone. From there, Krell returned to the ground floor and then took the stairs leading down to the dungeons. Almost immediately upon his arrival, he was beset with voices coming from the total darkness within, begging for water. Here, there were no torches lit, no warden present. It seemed the jailer had abandoned his post as well. Krell spent a few minutes lighting the torches and even passed a pair of scum-filled water pots into each of the communal pens. Better if he did not have to listen to their mewling and whining, and he warned them as he pushed the sloshing pots through the bars that he would take them away if they could not be quiet. He wandered to the back of the prison then, where two of the solitary cells were, as was the door leading down to the lower dungeon. The stink of rot would have made an average man wretch, but Krell barely noticed the smell. He stared vacantly into the cells for a time, considering putting another prisoner within one to see what would happen overnight. Eventually, he decided not to, and left the dungeons feeling empty. Once again, he climbed the staircases and wound through various corridors, whose usual elegance was beginning to show certain signs of recent neglect. 
He saw only a couple of people, more servants who scurried furtively away from the sight of him like rats. He returned without thinking about it to Gulfrey's salon. By now, the sun was beginning to set. He could see the orange-kissed sky through the lancet-topped windows of the vestibule. He must have spent a lot more time in the dungeons than he had realized. When he reached the King's Salon, he briefly considered getting some work done, but one look at the desk with its neat stack of documents made him turn away with a sigh. Perhaps he should go to bed. Perhaps Sivan would visit him that night and lift his fallen spirits. But for some reason, he did not go to bed. Instead, he crossed the room with his hands clasped behind his back and stood at a large window with a frame of decorative scalloped wood looking out and over Silmoral. As he watched, dusk crept upon the city and turned everything it touched a dull gold color. Krell just stood there like a gargoyle, watching the snow fall and the sky darken. Meanwhile, as the last vestiges of twilight lingered over Nepul, the withered head of Lord Goddard stared down from high, high above the city. It wore an expression as if appalled by what it observed below. Twin plumes of smoke drifted up from the Goddard estate and dissipated into the indigo sky. The head had been impaled upon the shaft of a pike, which in turn was lashed to the city's tallest spire. It was the same spire from which the head of Kabbalath had once been put for display centuries ago. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy the show and would like to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and repost episode announcements on social media. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you so very much for your support of the show. Here's a review that was left on Apple Podcasts by Old Dirty Basilisk. Old Dirty Basilisk writes, It's a crit, streamlined to the point of near perfection. Great characters, palpable tension, and not a wasted moment. I usually fall off APs pretty quick, but this is something special. Thank you so much, Old Dirty Basilisk. Hey, your first name isn't Carrick, is it? If it is, I'm really sorry about how things turned out for you in this season, but if you're a different Old Basilisk, I'll just say thanks very much for the great review. And also, stay away from tower windows. You know, just in case. This episode once again features the voice of Chris Cornish as Sir Patrick Salomar. Thank you, Chris, for adding your voice to the show. For those of you who are into fine craftsmanship, Chris has a website where you can see his portfolio and shop at www.druidcraftwoodworks.com. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on X or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. For email, it's taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post a bunch of RPG-related stuff, like art, the occasional character sheet, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. It's the story where chaos rolls. If you love anime and D&D, check out Warlock. It's the story of me, Nova Ravenwood, a young woman born without magic who forms a pact with a mysterious being for power. Set in a fantasy world of adventure, dragons, and powerful sorcerers, the story unfolds like an anime for your ears. And don't forget about our muscular hunk of a classmate, me, Ren. Too bad this is audio only, otherwise you could see that I'm flexing my arms off over here. Are you seriously interrupting the ad? You moron! Sorry, we'll get out of your way. Wait, 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 hang on. I haven't even told them about my amazing powers. I guess I should describe myself a little bit more first. 
First thing, I don't wear a shirt. Thanks, Briar. Join the quest and listen to Warlock wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit warlockpod.com for more information.